0: Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with, M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. All right, welcome everyone to episode nine of Dealmaker Diaries. Today we have a very interesting guest. We have Mr. Dan Smith. So... People are Dan Smith's business, specifically entertainment people. As creator and producer of Fox Backstage Pass, his goal wasn't just to get the biggest celebrities onto his weekly entertainment program. It was to get those stars to look at what he could offer and definitely say, yeah, let's do that. It was Smith who leveraged his experience as a former U.S. Air Force public relations superintendent to get Will Smith... No relation on a Blackhawk helicopter ride from Nishihizabu to Yokota Air Force Base and back to promote Ion Legend in 2007. At the time, Smith was producing entertainment segments for his Japanese networks with his Independent Access Television LLC, and the stunt caught the attention of Fox. Smith subsequently got the principal cast of 2012's Battleship, onto an actual U.S. Navy aircraft carrier, and when Tom Cruise came to promote Edge of Tomorrow, the Japanese distributor naturally approached him to find out what he could do to help promote the film. The feather in his cap was when the promoter for Michael Jackson himself sought Smith out to cover what would have been the King of Pop's final Japanese tour. That's when Smith started thinking, oh, well... Maybe I'm kind of successful at this. So guys, let's give a warm welcome to Mr. Daniel Smith to the show. Let's go. Dan, how's it going, buddy?
1: Hey, hey, how's it going, man?
0: pretty good pretty good welcome to the show thanks for joining us today uh no problem how are you feeling today pretty good Uh,
1: yeah 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 always just busy
0: busy yeah i can imagine what are you um, working on these days
1: uh a a couple of things i'm uh relaunching uh, one of my shows called backstage pass this is a show i did um for two or three years before I went to Fox, and then I did it for another nine years of Fox. Uh, and I'm, I'm revising this. It's a pretty much celebrity gossip program. So it's one of uh, several programs I'm producing, but I, I've always liked that format. I've always liked that program. So bringing it back.
0: Okay, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, we're gonna talk about that a little later in the show. So definitely wanna hear more about that. All right, so yeah, let's jump into it, Dan. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your um, upbringing in the Southern United States? I believe it was um, St. Louis, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, it, north, north, yeah, we started was north. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I grew up in St. Louis, uh, went to Sumner High School, and I also went to a technical high school. So we were blessed to, uh, I, I went to two different high schools at the same time. One was called O'Farland Tech, which I went to learn architectural drafting. And then I went to my regular high school, which was Sumner High. Uh, I graduated from there. Uh, I was going to go to college, but a bunch of my friends decided to go into the military. and. At the time, I was the one who had a car, so I had to drive him to the recruiting office. And, uh, of course, I was anti-guessing, but I had a job. I was going into drafting and everything else. But when I got to the recruiter office and I was trying to talk those guys out of joining the military, the guy, I guess, saw me as a problem. So the first thing he said, well, hey, you know, did you ever consider the military? And I said no, and then he started telling me about all the great things you can do in the military. And where he got me was at travel. When he started talking about travel, when he told me, you know, they asked me, what's the one place you would love to go? And yeah, I remember I was from the Midwest, St. Louis, and I was thinking Hawaii. And the guy looked me in the eyes and says, oh, you know, you can join the military. You can be in Hawaii in six months, you know? So, so that got me.
0: Yeah. So you went to talk them out, but they ended up hooking you in, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I was the I was <laughs> first one to sign, I think. Yeah.
0: So, so what's your, um, What did your family have to say about that? Were they okay with it?
1: Uh, You know, my mom, she but my mom was one of these these anti-war activists. You know, Uh, she was into a lot of things. You know, anti-war protests, also racial injustice protests. You know, she's pretty active in that. We had a um, uh, my family was one of the the first black-owned bookstores. In America, I think they 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 did a newspaper article. And it was like we were the second or the third in America to open a black owned uh, own bookstore, and so we we were pretty activists, you know, in our in our neighborhood. And and you know, it's, it's the time of the Vietnam War, and uh, see, they were just worried just as any parent would be of their son going into war. But you know, it, it was uh, at the time I, I thought I was basically sticking up with my buddies, you know. Mm-hmm. That that was you know a more peer pressure thing.
0: Okay, and I can imagine growing up in the South. I call it the South, but yeah, Midwest as well. Were your parents pretty tough and principled? Yeah, 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 yeah. My yeah, my
1: especially my grandmother. You know, yeah, it, it was it, they, they were pretty strict coming up. But my mother was pretty. Like I said, she's pretty liberal. She has a uh, she did a lot of things that, that were just different from the norm, but but everybody else was traditionally, You know, Midwest is traditionally a pretty conservative place.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm sure they instilled a lot of um a lot of values in you that you still have to this day, huh?
1: Uh serious, hardcore, work ethic values. Yeah, uh, honesty, work at you know work, work values. So uh, that was pretty much uh, uh you know a, a no binder. You, you just had to. You know they expected you to 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 work hard they expect you to be honorable
0: and that was it yeah you had to come along it. there was no or else you just had to do it right yeah <laughs> all right so you so you joined the military and um which branch was that the marines the air force air force okay and what, mm-hmm. what kind of work were you doing in the air force well i started out with a,
1: a number of things i was a, initially uh, uh I worked in administration, um, doing admin stuff, and then I was—I had a brief stint when I was at the munition uh, bombed up <laughs> when I was in Thailand. But what happened was, um, uh, I was pretty much, uh, you know, happy with doing the admin stuff, and and I was always stationed in Thailand, and so. I don't know why but I, me and this guy we decided that we were going to put out this uh, black newspaper. you know again, this was the late you know 70s I was in and I, we just felt that the the, the, the you know the black voice was under underrepresented and a lot of this was for my mom you know my mom was like I said pretty radical thinking and so uh I was putting out this um uh, underground black newspaper called for my People. And I had been putting it out for two or three months. You know, everything from we printed it up, we handed it out, to it. And I got called into the uh, one of the commander's office. And they called me in and they basically asked me, you know, hey, are you the guy who's putting out this illegal newspaper? Now, when somebody talks to you, you you sit there full of authoritarian uh, people, you know, And they asked you, "Are you doing something illegal?" What's your answer going to be? You know, (laughs) of course, my answer was, "I I don't know what you guys talk about." I hey, yeah, I've seen it around, but I don't know who. And like some bad uh, movie, they actually showed me pictures of me distributing the newspaper (laughs) around base. So I thought, "Oh man!" So I I figured I said, "I'm toast," you know. And they they brought up the fact that, hey, yeah, this is illegal, but they said, the reason why we called you in there is we need somebody to edit the base newspaper. Now, I had never, I didn't even realize that a base had a a newspaper and let alone read it, you know? Uh, And they they showed it to me and they says, yeah, they says, "Uh, you know, we feel that you're a a writer and you're kind of a take charge guy, just the kind of guy we need to work on the newspaper. And I was stunned that they had that as a profession in the military, journalism. So of course, they also told me that, hey, if you don't want to do this, we can also, you know, there's this thing which you're doing this some legal newspaper. And and, <laughs> and and the implication was pretty clear. Like, hey, you know, either do, come on board or, you know, face the actions of, of your actions. So it's a pretty easy decision. You know? Yeah,
0: this, do that or, possible, dishonorable discharge. Huh? You know, something, you know, you know. yeah. You know so yeah it was the easiest choice definitely all right so uh, would you so would you credit um would you credit the air force and those experiences with your ultimate success, success later yeah yeah i i because you know
1: what what it did is uh you know i i, I found when i was writing the uh for my people doing this i i was always one of those guys that once i got the middle the other thing that happened is once I joined the military, you know, there was like six or seven of us. I was the only one who got split up. Everybody else kind of like, a couple of them were stationed together. But me, I was basically, uh, you know, separated from the group and never got back with that group. I mean, I I was never at a base or something or anywhere near those guys. So I kind of lost my support network from the start. So it forced me to... uh, to do other things and, and in high school I was I was fairly shy you know so so um it wasn't like you know I had the kind of personality I have now where I you know I'm pretty much fearless I, I I I literally was was the guy who was standing in the corner you know because I was that shy but I realized fairly quickly that hey I'm, I'm going to do something so I was doing stuff before I was always volunteering uh at places to do things uh I always loved to write so I was stationed in Travis before I went to uh, Thailand, and I was I was involved with the Port Society. I did some freelance uh, reporting for a couple of newspapers and things like that. So it wasn't like you know the military introduced me to journalism. But when I found out that they had that, the military took it to another level because they sent me uh, to the University of Oklahoma for formal training, and then they. Wow. Um, yeah, and they provided other stuff. So it was, it was, yeah, it was really, uh, you know, I it, it 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 set me on the course. It set me on the course.
0: Yeah, so they really invested in you, and huh? Sending your back. Yeah, the- yeah,
1: and not just invested in me. I mean, the military. That's what they did. They, they, you know, you know, those type of of, of, of careers. They understand, hey. It's, You know, this is not firing a rifle. You know, this is this is something that you got to learn that you got to really do. Because I essentially became the editor of newspaper, and when you think about it now, when I think about that, it's like, wow. So you're the spokesman for the, the military community in that community. So obviously, that's a responsibility that you know I had to take seriously.
0: And so you were doing that newspaper. That was in Thailand, right?
1: Yeah, it it started in Thailand, but eventually I I changed over. That became my my uh, career field in the military. So everywhere I went, I was either in charge of a a, a, a newspaper, a radio station, TV station, or I was a, a PR guy. I was the guy who spoke with the media people.
0: Okay, and so and after Thailand, was it straight to Japan, or did you go elsewhere before landing no, in Japan? Uh,
1: to Thailand, I went to South Dakota, elsewhere, South Dakota, for one year, and then I went home. I, I'm from St. Louis, but I was stationed at Scott Air Force Base for four years, which was great because I was home, essentially, just, you know, 15-minute drive to home. And then I went uh, to Japan for the first time, and it was weird because I didn't want to go to Japan. I was trying to get back to Thailand, uh, and uh, the closest place was Japan, so I was, I, was, I was pretty disappointed when they told me I was going to Japan.
0: And then once you got here, did you change your mind? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I I got to Okinawa and, and it was, it was uh you know, I, I'm one of those guys that I, I, I kind of, you know, wherever you put me, you know, even if I, I liked it or don't like it, I try to make the best of it. You know, I, I don't spend a lot of time like, oh, uh, what about this? What about that? I, you know, once I get into a place, man, you know, there's a, a switch that comes on to me and, and I adapt. I adapt. I think part of that is you know military training. When, when I was in the military, you're forced to adapt. It's not like they give you the choice. And so, yeah, I, I, it, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, I got there and I immediately immersed myself in the community and things like that. So it, it, yeah, it was very nice.
0: Okay. And um, in Japan or in Thailand, did you ever um, did you ever marry in Japan or Thailand or? I married you... in Thailand. I married in Thailand. Okay.
1: Yeah, okay. and I have two daughters
0: from that marriage. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so once you're in Japan, you're in Okinawa, what kind of um, work were you doing in and around Japan as far as media roles and responsibilities? Well,
1: again, so I, I was there twice. I, I went there twice as the military. So, first time I was just basically doing uh, the military newspaper. I, I forgot what it was called. I think it was called The Shogun or something like that. Uh, and, uh, and then I would do some freelancing for magazine articles. You know, I, I did some stuff in the States. I would work for some magazines articles in the States. Uh, I started exploring TV, very very, very limited uh, the first time, because I, I didn't really know much about TV, didn't know much about cameras, but I, I explored a little bit of that. And, and then I left uh, Okinawa, and I returned back to the States, which was in Texas. And there, I started you know, doing a little bit more uh, with newspaper. in Oklahoma, yeah, I think that was Oklahoma. And I started getting more serious about the journalism part. So every time I transferred uh, military locations, you have to ask permission at the military. You have to go and get permission to work as an off-duty job. And journalists, you have to work on a lot of, you don't have permission for a lot of part of the job. But when you're in job with media, because it's a sensitive area with the military, you have to get permission. So I, I always had to go get permission. I had to get a, a legal office to sign off on it. And then I had to uh, make a pledge that I would not cover uh, news within a 25 mile radius of the base. So it always meant that I had to work at a newspaper that I had to you know, drive a bit to get to or a radio station that I had to drive a bit to get to in order to, to do that. But I, I did that at every single uh, military base I was assigned to.
0: Okay. And Dan, so was there ever a point, um, was there ever a time when you thought, this isn't for me, and you wanted to explore other opportunities outside of media?
1: <sighs> I, you know, there was a brief period where I, I really, well, my first love was I wanted to open a restaurant. That's what I wanted to do. I, I uh-huh. That was my dream. I, I think I was in, uh, South Dakota, and I was very close to getting out the military then and opening a restaurant. I had a partner, we were supposed to raise the funds and we were gonna do it. I kind of did my part, you know, but the guy, the guy couldn't come up with this part. He was the guy, he was an actual chef guy, you know. So so at the last minute, that kind of fell through, but that was as close as I came to not getting out of the military, but getting out and doing something other than media related
0: business. Okay, and so was there one moment, day, or action in time that you think put you on the road that led you to where where you are now?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just, I wouldn't say a, a specific action, but seeing the response um, that you get from communicating with people through media was was the high for me because. You know, I, I, I was fortunate. Uh, most of the newspapers I worked on were kind of award-winning newspaper. I won, you know, maybe like thirty journalism awards. So, I, you know, there was a lot of feedback in terms of professional, and and in terms of personal. Where people were always getting back to me like, oh, I, I love your story. I love your photos. Uh, wow, that 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 program was interested. So that really was uh, because, you know, while I was in the military doing these parts and the jobs, you're not getting paid a lot. of money, you know, so, mm-hmm. so but it was it was that it was it was understanding that I actually uh, could impact people's lives with what I was writing or what I was taking pictures of. That's sort of like, what's the hook?
0: OK. And so how, did you, how, do, how do you usually handle, how did you or do you handle setbacks and disappointments in your career?
1: You know, I, I don't spend much time with that because, you know, it, it's not like, you know, it's going to change, right? You know, I, I tell people this all the time because, you know, I, 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 you know, a lot of people, you know, will comment about me. and says, well, you know, you don't seem to be the type that panics or stress a lot. I said, no, I, I, that's just not really in my DNA because, you know, it, it's, it's, I just find it fruitless to worry over something that you can't control. Now things happen. I mean, I've had a a couple of of, of of areas, like especially with employment, that I wanted to go into. It didn't happen, but I didn't spend much time thinking about, oh, you know, this is that, because you know, I I have this theory that as one door closes, another door opens, mm-hmm. and and it, and you can't miss that door opening if you're sitting there wallowing around, you know, and feeling sorry for yourself. So I I just it's not me. I just don't, you know, I don't spend a lot of time like
0: that. Okay. All right. And Dan, so you've, I mean, you've worked with so many stupid superstars from Michael Jackson, Will Smith, Rihanna, Beyonce, Neo, Mariah Carey, Tom Cruise, and countless more. So how would you, if you think back to the first time you worked with uh, a major celebrity, how have you transitioned from your first time until now, where it seems to be commonplace place for you at this juncture in your life uh, my and career. First,
1: my first time was an absolute disaster. <laughs> it was an absolute. I, I, you know, I don't like to tell the story too often. Um, it was back, Oh, man. I, I can't get the year. I, I can't remember the year, but I, I think it was in the late '80s. And I was, I know, I was back home. I was, I was stationed at Scott Air Force Base, and they had this thing called the Mississippi. Uh, River Festival. There was some kind of concert series that they used to do on one of the colleges, right? And so I was doing some kind of a part time reporter on stuff. And now, up until then, I very seldom did anything celebrity related. It was like, you know, covering a trial or covering some political stuff or writing about this great uh, sightseeing place and things like that. You know, the, the entertainment stuff was like a you know, wasn't on my, it wasn't even on my radar. But I, uh, Donna Summers, you know, Donald, D. Donna Summers was in town. And I, I, you know, I, if I was infatuated with anybody, it had to be Donna Summers. I just thought she was just tremendous. You know, she, I, I loved her song. She was, you know, just a beautiful woman. And, and, and she was at this festival. And so I thought, I, I told my uh, editor, I said, hey, I want to go interview Donna Summers. Well, you know, every newspaper has like, they have departments, you know, news, uh, entertainment. And of course, the entertainment person was to be like, no, this is my beat, blah, 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 blah. You know, so, so I, I was like, uh, okay. But for whatever reason, we couldn't get an interview. The newspaper couldn't get an interview with her. So... Uh, I told the guy, I said, well, why don't you let me try?" And and he, ah, yeah, yeah, because they were pretty sure if yeah, if this guy who's established as the entertainment writer can't get it, you know, there's no way Dan, who's a part-time military guy, is going to get it. But I actually used that. Uh, so so I went to this music festival, and and I noticed that everybody had, you know, they had a, a bunch of you know college students and stuff who were working the festival, and they were wearing these T-shirts, you know, which basically identified them as staff, right, yeah. and. And I go up to this guy, and I don't know why I thought of just, but I go up to this guy, and I told him, I said, "Hey man, I'm in the military. I says I'm, I'm shipping out, and I said this has been one of my favorite music festivals. I really like this t-shirt. I'll give you twenty five dollars for this t-shirt." And the guy looked at me, like, and he immediately pulled it out because he said, "Hey, they just gave it to us, you know." He said, "Actually, I got a couple, you know," and he and he sold me the t-shirt, right? So I put the t-shirt on, and they had the stars who were. Uh, performing at this festival. It was pretty hot. It was like a hundred, it was like 110 degrees or something like that. It was pretty hot. And and the stars were staying in like these little trailers, you know, and stuff like that, I guess between the show, like backstage trailers, whatever, you know. And um and so I finally found out the one that Donna Summers was staying in. And I I, I figured like okay I'm just gonna go up there and knock on it. I said I'm gonna use this military angle. It worked so well with this guy that I thought I'm gonna use the military angle. Say so, hey look you know so so I remember I I, I knocked on a trailer and apparently she must have ordered some food or something because she said hey just put it down on the steps you know and of course I knock again and then the door opens and she kind of sticks her head out and uh. And she looks at and and, and and I said, "Hey, I'm I'm not this. I'm 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 here as a newspaper board. And She says, "Hey, they said no interviews." And I said, "Yes." I said, "But hear me out, you know." And I'm, and I'm making this spill to her about I'm a, a military guy. I'm trying to get into newspaper if I can get this interview. You know, it really helped me. You know, blah 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 blah. I mean, I'm just making stuff up to be honest. You know, I'm just <laughs> whatever I think of work. And she looked at me. And she says something to the effect that, ah, you look like a pretty good boy, you know, you know, like like a grown up kid, right? You know, you know, rather than being one of the, like the, the college students who was doing this and stuff. And so she let me in. The thing is, she was wearing what amounted to be like a jade because it was so hot. And, and she asked me, she said, hey, you, you, you're cool. I, I mean, you know, it's really hot. I could put on something more, you know, and I'm sitting there, and and I'm like, you know, I'm just, I don't even know what to say I, I, because it's Donna Summers, and you know, uh, it, it, to I'd me, stop, right? yeah, yeah, you're yeah. yeah. To me, to me, she's like butt naked. She's not, right. and, you know, just just you know, when, when you're a guy, this is your idol, you know. She opens her shirt the wrong way, you know, you get the wrong impression, right? But anyway, uh, so. And I don't even know if I can say this on, on a thing. So I, I formulated my mind, because she said, hey, you got time for maybe uh 10, you know, quick 10-minute interview. And so what I wanted to say was, uh, well, tell me what what what's your in your mind your best hits? And it came out in your mind, what do you is your breast hits? And I like, <laughs> and, and I go up there and, and I go, oh my God. And she looks at me and, and then. I I I think I I I, I tried to say your top hits, and I think I might have said ted your, your And She said, "You know what? She said, you why don't I just put something on, give you a couple of seconds together?" And it was just it was just so embarrassing. But the interview actually came out pretty good. She was nice, you know. But it was just I was so embarrassed. I I never did use the interview anywhere. It, it was just I was just so embarrassed from it, and I, that and it took me a while to get over that one because I I, I just I couldn't believe that. I had I, I had completely flabbergasted, you know, but just because again, you know, my 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 uh, image of her is, you know, of course she did all the sexy videos and stuff like that. But you know, uh, the, the thing about celebrities, uh, which always, even to this day, amaze me, is that I'm always a little, you know, kind of, you know, tickled that I'm in I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm talking with these guys because you know I can remember a favorite movie, or favorite. Uh, record and stuff like that and so I you know I never lose that aspect I never get so jaded like oh, I interviewed Will Smith 10 times so um you know it's nothing to me no I I, I get excited every single time with these guys because I'm such a big fan of movies and music
0: yeah and I can imagine I would say um in our minds we all we all have celebrities or superstars pegged one way but would you i mean in your exactly, experience exactly. um uh, most of them never like how we imagine and uh,
1: yeah yeah I, I was i was completely you know I, I i i guess i would like to say most of the time the public has it wrong you know because uh when 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 you see these guys on the other side of course I, you know, I see. I, I, I watch them both ways. I watch them when they're out with the fans and stuff like that, and they have to be who they, these people perceive them to be. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but then I, I, I've been in sessions where you know, gone to breakfast or sitting on a plane or, or something like that, and it's the complete opposite. And I think for me, uh, the big one. Uh, there was a couple, several big ones, but I think the big one was Michael Jackson. Yeah, with him because I I went in to that, completely thinking, okay, this guy's going to be a weirdo, he's going to be weird, blah, 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 you know, and he was so completely opposite of what I thought he would be. You know, I, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I, to this day, I tell people, I says, man, I, I wish this guy would have shown more of that side of what he was than the other side, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think more than anything is how the media portrays them as far as yeah. how they put themselves out there, so it's kind of, yeah. And that way, okay, yeah, very and so which which celebrity would you say surprised you the most? Aside from Michael? Uh I would say
1: um uh, Will Smith was just, you know, he was like he is in real life, he was just so personable. And I think I was surprised with that because the first time I met him, he actually took me to breakfast, you know, which stunned me. You know, it's just like, you know, hey, you want to go to breakfast? I'm like, yeah, okay. You know? <laughs> and uh and and uh and he and, and just sitting there talking to him and, and his philosophy. A lot of the stuff that he talked to me about, I actually still use to this day because he had, you know, he's very candid talk about how he started out and how he, he thought he had the whole world by by the by the by the hand and and then um uh, You know, he went bankrupt and and all this had to start all over again. And it taught him, you know, who the real people were and how he picked projects and how he projects his image. And I mean, to this day, a lot of that stayed with me. So that that was a big surprise. Um, Ray Charles surprised me. Uh, This was during, uh, he was another one of the first people I did, but I remember I, I went to interview him, I was, it was in Okinawa. And it's just that, and the reason why I went is because I it wasn't so much I was a Ray Charles fan, but I remember my mom loved Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, my mom was no longer with me, but if she was still here, she would be so proud that I went and interviewed her her idol, you know? And wow. so, uh, so I applied, they surprised me and they gave me an interview with him. And I walk in there and he's sitting down and he's a, Uh, he was a much taller guy than I thought I I don't know why I would think he was a small guy but he was really kind of a tall guy and I walked in there and 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 I and I I got my hand out to shake his hand and it's it's like a a minute and a half of silence that he goes you are not like actually have your hand out to shake my hand do you and and I was like Oh, he said, because, you know, I I can't see that, you know, and I was like, oh, man, here we go again, another just, and and actually, he was just messing with me, you know, he he did it, and, uh, but it was so funny the way he did it, because I probably, he had done this, he does this all the time in interviews, but for me, I just felt devastated, like, oh, I I get this interview with him, and what do I do, you know, I'm insensitive, not, you know, not understanding that he can't see me, you know. But uh, yeah, so that, that that was kind of surprising because I, that that kind of humor, I thought, wow, that's that's uh, yeah, that that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I've heard that he was a bit of a jokester as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so so I'm not pegged as being too vain. Let's dig into some of the projects you have created and worked on. Mm-hmm. So Black Life in Japan, that was your brainchild, right? Yeah, yeah. So, what was the inspiration behind that, and how did that come about?
1: Well, I, I, um, so, uh, when I finally I, I got out of the military, I, I retired out of the military. I took a job as a newspaper editor in Okinawa uh, for a couple of years. Uh, but then, I you know, I decided, uh, man, I, I I like to go to bigger pressure. So, I actually came up to Tokyo and started working with the Associated Press. And uh, but the Associated Press. Wanted me to cover news stuff, you know. They wanted military stuff, you know. I, I spent 21 years in the military, and the first thing they thought I was like, "Oh, hey, we can send you out to wars and stuff like that." I'm like, eh, "Duh! I spent 21 <laughs> years in the military. What, yeah. what what part what part of that you think I have not seen? You know." And so, but it was a it was a job. So you know, I'm not stupid. I got a job, but I wanted to do something else. So, a friend of mine was a producer at BET, and uh Mar- Marquita Curtis says she we were talking, we, we were a child of a friend, we worked on the newspaper together, uh, and she had said, hey, uh, uh, you know, we'd be interested to, you know, if they got anything that's going on in Japan, with you know, black, you know, personalities or artists who come over there, you know, and I said, great, you know, BT, you know, that, that's a great resume <laughs> deal, right? So, yeah. so I, I took it. And the thing is, is that uh, it, just like AP, you know, I would go out and shoot a lot of stuff, but, you know, by the time I got to CBS News or something like that, it's basically 30 seconds of stuff, you know, so Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing, I would go out and interview Beyonce or interview stuff, and they would run uh, about, you know, one minute clip if I was lucky, you know, but I would have, like, you know, maybe an hour worth of stuff, so and I and I was learning how to edit because remember I, I didn't I wasn't a TV guy so I had to learn how to film I had to learn how to edit so I just started taking these little features and I started editing longer versions of it. Now YouTube wasn't really YouTube back then, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it was start building up. So, but but I had my own website called ACTV, and I would just put this stuff on my website just to kind of like please me and share it with some friends, you know, yeah. and. And, and, and I got pretty prolific as I, you know, I, I had about 30 or 40 uh, uh, clips up. And I had talked to a guy named Mike Markwell, who was a distributor. I, I, as, as, I, as I started doing more and more in both TV and journals, I started taking more professional seminars and training sessions. So one is uh, NAPTI, which is for tel- television people, which was held every year in Las Vegas. I, uh, on my own down, I went over there because I said I want to learn more about this. I want to learn how the business of TV, right? And so I was there and I talked with uh, Mike Markwell and he had told me, and he had saw these clips I had on the, um, on, on, on the email. he says, man, this stuff that you're doing in Japan, why don't you make some kind of program uh, out of this stuff? You know, there's no programs with African-Americans doing this stuff that you're doing on the track. And I just, as a joke, I said, yeah, what would you call it? What, Black Life in Japan? You know? And it goes, hmm. yeah, that's a great name, out fact. And I like, and, and I was kidding. I was just kidding with that, you know? And and uh uh what happened at the same time that we were talking about this as Black Life in Japan, uh and it just was in Las Vegas, I was um literally um uh out uh, at, at another part of the, the festival, this, this was the, the following year, because I, I, I did, I, I did some stuff, I put it up at Black Lives Japan on, on my website, I changed and stuff like that. But I went to that NAFTI conference again, the following year. And again, the same guys there. But what happened was, uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno was filming uh, some, some things about this particular TV uh convention and they were saying that hey this napoli thing uh is for is it, it, and, and we're featuring all these guys who come in to pitch their um program to the network to see if the network buys it, right and so and so i had a friend of mine who actually troubled with me and he wanted to be a comedian so i thought wow this is great for you you can go on jay leno and you can talk about uh a program which was a different program than black life in japan you know and uh and this guy like yeah yeah i want to do it blah 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 and when it came time for him to go on the air he chicken out he 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 got he got you know he got nervous and stuff like that and we were there and it was the jay little producers and stuff and they looked at me they said hey somebody has to go on you know I'm like well what am I gonna talk about you know and well, talk about what show that you're doing, you know? And and I told them, I told them, like, yeah, but I don't know. My show is called Black Life in Japan. They lit up. They're like, hey, yeah, yeah, come on and talk about that, you know? So I came on and I actually, and I, it, it, I understand that it was Jay Leno. I was a big fan of Tonight's Show and a huge fan of Jay Leno at the time. So I knew they wanted to camp it up a bit. So I came on and I camped it up and told them, like, yeah, my show is uh, called Black Life in Japan. It's a, a story of an English teacher living in Japan who had gender issues. You know, he was a former Navy SEAL, blah, blah, blah. And it just, you know, I, I just I just said basically whatever came in my mind. And and that aired and literally, literally, you know, again, some of this stuff was before his time because, you know, people say stuff go viral now. Well, you know, you didn't have stuff go viral. But what happened was I remember they aired it. Because I, I forgot about it. And I thought there's no way they're going to use it because it was just ridiculous, you know, black talking about well, a black life in Japan. And I remember the day that it aired. I don't remember the exact date, but I remember I started getting phone calls and emails. Literally, I thought something was wrong with my computer and something was wrong with my phone because it was just people calling me. And it started out of odd things from people contacting me from Germany, you know, and it was, uh, uh, you know, military people that I'd been stationed with before and they were still in the military and they says, hey, you were on Jay Leno last night. And I'm like, what? They said, yeah, you were on the Tonight Show and you were talking about your show Black Life in Japan. Now, I was like, and I, I, I actually thought the guy was kidding. And then the guy actually recorded it and sent it to me. And, and, and for the next, I think it was like two and a half days. I literally started from Germany, then I went to England, and then I started getting people calling me from the you know, East Coast, uh, the Midwest, and then finally the West Coast. And this just went over a course of days with people and, and What got me was this guy's grandmother called me. One well, a friend of mine's grandmother called me and says, I just watched you on Jay Leno, you know? And, and it just, it kind of blew up, and I mean, not only that, celebrities were watching it, and so I had celebrities who would come to Tokyo and say, "Hey, I saw you. Can I get on your Black Life in Japan
0: program?" Yeah. You know? Oh man! Wow.
1: Yeah, it just it was it was it was that crazy, you know. So so then I had to produce a program, and, and so I did it, <laughs> and, and, and and it aired in the states for two years, but it was it just to this day has cult status, and, and I mean, I I was proud of it because I I actually you know, again, the way I, I tend to do things, it, you know, once I get into it, I want to make it good. So I went out, I found all of uh, Black entrepreneurs or musicians and stuff. I literally interviewed everybody who was Black in Tokyo. I, I don't think I missed anybody, you know? You know, and and, and then again, like I said, I, celebrities would come over and they would, they would just track me down Said, hey, I, I got to get on your Black life in Japan show, you know, so, and to this day, people ask me to revise it, you know, but
0: yeah. And you still can find that it's still on YouTube, right? So if anybody wanted to find yeah, it, yeah, find it's it's YouTube, still,
1: right? there's still places. Yeah, there's still places that is because some of the more popular clips. I think there's a clip where Will Smith answers my phone during an interview, and it just goes off the rails, you know. So yeah, there's still <laughs> stuff around there, and I still have like DVDs of it. But yeah, that's the that's the one thing to this day. I still get comments on. I I get comments from. Uh, I, I I there was a a, a guy who sent me an email, says, hey, you don't know me, but when I was a teenager, I used to watch your Black Life in Japan show. He says, I'm Hispanic. And I said, we loved it. He said, we would be stopping in Spanish about this show, how great this guy is and how crazy he is over in Japan. And he said, it it, it, it brought me to, he visited Japan. And a lot of people told me that too. They says they visited Japan based on that show. So, so yeah, that's a good feeling. I felt good about that.
0: Yeah, that's good stuff. All right, so Fox backstage pass. So mm-hmm. how did, how did that come into fruition and what were the mechanics that kept that wheel turning for the tune well, of 300? Well, episodes? backstage
1: pass. Backstage pass wasn't Fox Backstage Pass. It was I had I was producing Backstage Pass before I I I went to Fox. It was just the the difference is there was a a segment in another show that I was producing called Access E. You know, Access E which I was then, now I got to the point where I started placing stuff on Japanese channels. They weren't full programs. They were mostly corners. You know, I I put them in popular TV shows. And Backstage Pass was one of those corners. And so, um, uh, and then uh, I was, uh, you got to remember something, which which I guess I, I missed. Most of the stuff that I was producing in Japan was actually airing in the U.S. It didn't air in Japan. Very little of it aired in Japan. Only these little five-minute corners were aired in Japan. So I went with these programs, they'd be on UPN channel. Uh there was a channel called Colors. It was a these are all nationwide black uh networks, which was mm-hmm. primarily which my my programs went to, you know.
0: Okay. And um
1: but what happened with Backstage Pass, I was doing it and then I used to play basketball with uh uh one of the uh, in in, in Nishiazabu, they have a place called Hardy Barracks, and at the time, uh, guys used to do pickup basketball games, over there. so I would go there and play some pick-up basketball games, and so there was one guy named Ward Platt that we used to play with, and unbeknownst to me, he was actually running Fox at the time, and and uh, we, would, we would play basketball. He didn't know I was producing stuff, but then one of his guys told me, said, well, you know how the guy Dan produces TV programs, so he called me in, and uh and I, I remember we had a meeting and he said, hey, I want to hire you at Fox. And I thought, wow, this is great. Fox wants to hire me, you know. And uh, but at this time now, I had built up about six employees that were working with me, you know, and we were all, mm-hmm. you know, we these guys were work with me when we had no money. And, and we got to the point where they weren't getting good money, but I mean they were getting okay money. You know, we I call it we were surviving, <laughs> you know, we were happy, you know, young, you know, whatever. And um so the Fox says, hey, we'd like to take your backstage pass show and, and we'd like you to do a 30 minute version and, uh, and stuff like that. And we'd like to be able to just call it the Fox backstage pass show, not backstage pass. And so of course, I'm, you know, I'm not stupid, you know, it's Fox. So, uh, but the problem was that it took me a year and a half to sign the contract because I refused to join Fox until they take the rest of my employees with me. And so they would come back, like, you know, when I turned them down first, you know, they, they came back with more money. And I mean, it was kind of a ridiculous amount of money, but I told them, I said, no. I said, look, I, I'm a pretty loyal guy. These are the guys who are with me. You gotta take the whole team or I don't come. And so they would come back two months later and take, okay, well, we'll take you and one person. And then they come back a couple of, we'll take you and the third and that. And finally, after about a year and a half, when the guy was getting ready to leave Japan, he said, you know what? We're, 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 we'll take care of everybody. We just bring your company and we you know, won't buy it, but we'll merge all your employees into our company." And so, so then I, I was ready to do a, a 30 minute version of Fox because I, I, I was, I was very suspicious of their production people because you know, they're Fox and if they could have produced the kind of programs, they would have done it. They wouldn't have had to go outside to do it. So right. you know, yeah, and that's, one thing where I, I, I probably differ from a lot of producers that are here, I, I didn't, you know, I, I think because of the way I fell into all of this, I didn't get so intimidated by the fact that they were Fox or that these people were TBS or, or MTV and stuff like that. Because I thought like, hey, if they're talking to me, you know, they, they've they already, you know, did that circuit. You know, they've already gone out and they only talk to me because there's a need. So so I'm very good at, you know, picking that kind of stuff up. So. I went in there and I, and I told him, I said, look, I said, you got to create the the reason why I like backstage pass is because most of the time when people do TV programs, me as a TV viewer, I, I, I'll watch the first 10, 15 programs. It'd be great. And then you can see a big noticeable drop off, you know, in quality and, 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 you know, interest and stuff like that. And it's because, you know, a lot of people don't think the show is gonna last that long. Me, I'm the opposite. I'm like, okay, I want this to last forever. So how would I sustain it at the same quality? So even though I I knew these guys, what we were gonna eventually merge together, you know, because they kept coming back to me. So I used that year and a half to kind of refine when I would make this program and how I would sustain the quality of this program through one, two, three, four, five seasons, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, Back the Pass was the best of, of those. I did several programs, but that that was the one that allowed me to to really kind of spread the wings and do stuff. And and you know when you have a celebrity angle, you know it, that's already uh, you're already starting on a positive note because you know people watch celebrities, you know it's just yeah. you know, that's the thing that happens, you know.
0: Yeah, in 300 episodes, man, that's, I mean, that's quite a milestone, so congrats. Yeah,
1: that was, yeah, that was, uh, that, that, that surprised me. Yeah, that surprised me, yeah.
0: So once you're at Fox, where, what kind of challenges were there, if any, having such a large company back well, in the U.S. For, from an oversight standpoint?
1: Well, it, it, was, it was, it was several, it was several. The First, it was the communication problem, you know, my Japanese is, is, only as good as my drinking, you know, if I, <laughs> I just, like, you know, I could, it gets better, but I, I mean, I understand for my speaking Japanese, wasn't good. So, so a lot of the, the Japanese employees, especially producers that they had there, uh, didn't really respect me coming in because they figured like, first of all, he doesn't speak the language, so how is he going to communicate, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was always an uphill battle there, but again, I think the thing is, I, I don't get intimidated so easily, so, so, when they couldn't intimidate me, you know, it kind of it kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. And, and then why I just basically beat them down is that, you know, I was producing backstage pasture of the week. I was producing events. I was doing stuff. I was going out getting sponsors, you know, stuff that, you know, they have whole divisions to do. And I was doing a better job than most of the people were doing that. So um, but it was always a, it was always a, a struggle because. The thing is, is that I think when you're African American, uh, in some instances, people think that you're hustling something. They they don't give you credit for like being thorough and meticulous, mm-hmm. which I am. I'm pretty thorough. I'm I'm a I'm a geek when it comes to you know researching stuff before I do it. To make sure that I've looked at different items, but you know, I, that doesn't come across. You know, if you look at me on Facebook or you know me personally, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the last thing you would think is like, "Oh, Kiki Dad," you know, <laughs> because that just it's just a merit marriage with my image. But, but I do. I I take that kind of stuff very seriously. And so I always felt that even though I had a lot of, I would get a lot of strife and a lot of grief uh, from some of the management people. A lot of the employees just actually worshiped me. They thought I was the greatest thing since, you know, Swiss cheese because because they loved that I was always doing something exciting. They loved that. I, I did some things like, you know, we we go out to, to interview these celebrities, right? And sometimes they had extra time. So I said, hey, why don't you come by my office? And the celebrity and the PR people would look like, what? I said, yeah, come by my office. I said, you people in the office would love to meet you, you know? I mean, what are you doing? You're just going to go right back to a hotel, you know? And so I would bring these celebrities at the office and everybody would just go, my God. And I would take them. We had like four floors. I would take them to each floor and have people meet them. So they loved that kind of stuff. They, they, and they said, only I did that, you know?
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right. And so one of the other projects that I'm really impressed by probably the most is Defending Japan as well. Yeah. So tell the listeners tell the listeners about that. I find it quite interesting.
1: Well, you know the, the thing with Defending of Japan, which is a program that, that talks about how the. US military contributes to the, the defense of Japan and how they work along with the uh, Japanese uh, military to to do that. and the story behind all the people involved in, in the military it. Well, you know I was at Fox for for almost nine years. And I pitched this program to Fox and Fox's sister channel, which was National Geographic, which you would have thought that Fox would pick up a program like that, right? Mm-hmm. You, you would have thought, but I think at the time Fox was just like, well, you know, hey, you do the celebrity stuff well, uh, we don't see you as an expert on the military stuff now and, and you know i'm looking at these guys who've never been in the military telling me you know like hey you know we yeah. we, we, we would need an expert on the military stuff so it pretty much died but uh john flanagan who uh, who uh was working with uh i think at the time uh apple or a couple of other companies he also was at uh, uh amazon uh once he took over the um history channel he basically uh came to me and said hey then we need some uh new programs he said we need to change the, the thing here you, you you have some ideas you had what that military channel thing idea and so and so you know he came and we talked about it uh i went back and drew up a proposal and made a pitch uh with him, and they liked it we went out to the military and we sold the idea locally but you know, we had to, there's a step that I had to take, which most people don't do it, but I I knew it because I was in the military, so I knew how it worked. You have to get the, if you really want to get full access to the military base, you got to get permission from the Pentagon. And that's a pretty lengthy process, but I did it. I went through, I did all the paperwork. I did all, I submitted the stuff. And so uh, that allowed me to, do what I, I call to the make the, put some meat on the bones. So instead of just going out interviewing a military the guy here, interviewing the military guy and just putting together some, I was able to get out to the military bases. I was able to go up uh, uh, in the aircraft or the helicopters on the aircraft uh, destroyers and stuff like that. So I was able to tell a much fuller uh, a, a story about it. And it, you know, you know, in, in terms of aesthetics, it just it looked like we we spent zillions of dollars on this program. And then last year, it it, it kind of uh, came to a casino because we were awarded a Hollywood uh, Award, you know, we, we as best documentary. And that was that was a, a pretty tremendous honor. That, that was mostly for our, the company now that I I now work with in my partners called Aurora's uh, Morales Entertainment. But yeah, that, that was something. And the fact that it gave people a better understanding of why the military is here, because a lot of the Japanese they don't exactly know why these military bases are here and what they do behind the fence,
0: you know? Yeah, and I was going to bring that up. So yeah, Los Angeles hosted the inaugural Japan cause Hollywood mm-hmm. Film Festival last year in November at, it was at the TCL Chinese Theater, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you were honored and celebrated during this three-day studded event. So how does it feel to have your hard work and creativity recognized as, as, at such as an event?
1: I, I tell you, Donald, that was that was probably uh, that's going to go down as one of my uh, highlights because uh, uh, several things happened at once. You know, first I, I was kind of totally against going to that because you know we I, I get we get requests all the time from uh, agencies to uh, say, hey uh film film festivals even the, the Tokyo International Film Festival you know hey why don't you come participate and stuff like that yeah you know most of those are kind of like you know parties and galas and and you know it just you know I like I said I I, I put a lot of time in this so so I, I try to you know look at that time and see if I'm well, using it well well I was approached by uh Doug uh, Montgomery, who's uh, one of the VPs at Warner Brothers, and he's actually the current chairman of uh, Japan Cause Hollywood, which has been renamed Japan Connects Hollywood now. And so he had had talked to me about something and he was saying, hey, by the way, you know, I saw your documentary. I was, because his wife is Japanese and he he comes back and forth and he said, hey, I saw your your thing and uh, I think you should uh, enter this uh, film festival that we're having. And of course, I'm thinking like, yeah, right, you, you want some money or something like that. And 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 he kind of, and you know, just the way I'm talking, I guess he gets, he said, you don't remember me, do you? And I'm like, Yeah, but I didn't, you know. And 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 he had to remind me, he says, I'm the guy that you were on the plane with with Tom Cruise. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, and then it hit it. And and we kind of from there, you know, of course we, we started talking and stuff, and so my partner, Goodney Goodnison, uh, he was like, you know, hey, I lived in LA for three years. I produced movies and films there. and I never had people come out, invite me over and say, hey, and and, and not only that, but take my works and say, hey, we want to enter into this competition. So he actually convinced me that we should go. And when we went there, it was, it was just mind boggling, you know, because first of all, uh, we had one of the few uh, premieres that sold out. And we sold we sold out two times. They kept increasing the size of the theater venue. And then, because I had done Backstage Pass, there were several stars who showed up, just out of the blue. I, I didn't realize in LA, you know, people just, you know, they come out and they, but they heard I was in town It says, you know, and some people said like, hey, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy over Japan, the black guy in Japan. And people were calling people and, and you know, and we, we show up and there's, Casting directors, there's, there's uh, booby stars, you know, and stuff. And they're sitting there in the audience to come see our production, you know. And so that, and then my family decided, you know, because I, I don't get back to the US so often. So my family and my daughters all decided, like, hey, you know what, we're going to come out because we never see dad's work. You know, he lives in Japan and it'd be nice to see him, you know, in this element. And to win that award with so many of my family members, brothers and sisters and stuff there, and friends and stuff over, it was just a, a feeling that, um, yeah, it it, it was an amazing feeling.
0: Yeah, yeah man, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations! I was actually talking to Kingsley last week, and he said he had such a great time going down there and it spending was. some time. It
1: you know, we, we had forty-two people who went from Tokyo. To with them. Kinsley and those guys, because they were partial sponsors, they went. Uh, we had a bunch of people. I you know, remember Tokyo American Club that went. It was just, it, it, it had this own synergy that people was just, you know, gathering around it. Of course, you know, most of them were fans of the show, but it was more than that. I, it was, uh, for a lot of us, it was a chance to show what we're doing in Japan, you know. I know, like I know you, and I know a lot of people. I know all what we are doing, but you know the the, the rest of the, the outside world, aren't, they, they don't get privy to all that. And so, that was a chance through the Defending Japan program to kind of also talk to people in Hollywood and stuff, say, "Hey, look, we have a considerable amount of people over there with a lot of stuff to contribute," you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's been for me, it's been a, a really uptick now in terms of projects and. And, and the type of people that are contacting me to work on uh, collaborations. So that, and then uh, uh, one of the newest things I'm working on right now is I'm trying to launch the first channel in Asia for women.
0: Nice, very nice. Yeah. So okay, yeah, I mean... And
1: the thing is, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm trying to help everybody organize this. I want I, it should be run by women, but. I'm doing the, you know, the groundwork and try to launch it. I'm trying to bring different people together to do this.
0: All right, yeah. If you need any help on it, let me know. I'd be happy to help out if, if yeah. I can fit in anywhere. Yeah. All That's right. It. So, real quick, Daniel, let's go through the lightning round now before we wrap it up. Oh cool. So this is like Jeopardy, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, a little, but it, you know, you you know the answers to all of these questions because they're about yeah. you. So, yeah. what are um what are one or what are two books that have greatly influenced your life?
1: Uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. That was the the first serious book I I read other than stuff I was required to when I was in school, and that 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 shaped me. That shaped a lot of me, cause I I, I just I that book just is deeply just impacted me.
0: Yeah, that was one of my favorites in university as well. Definitely a good one. All right, so um, how is a failure? or a parent failure set you up for a later success
1: ah it's it's like I,
0: I, I said it what
1: it does it you know failure basically strips away everything right so you're exposed from the world so uh you know i again i'm very good at taking that and said okay i've learned something from this because that, that's what failure is, failure is education mm-hmm. you know it teaches you some very valuable lessons that say hey don't make these mistakes again so yeah, I, I I tell people that to this too shall
0: pass,
1: you
0: know. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Definitely, I think, um like coming up in the school system, we're kind of taught to look at failure in a different way than entrepreneurs are, because you know, in school, you're kind of taught like not to fail; it's a bad thing. People are going to yeah, laugh at yeah, you. Yeah. But I think. Um, as an entrepreneur, and, when you when I mean, you fail, it's a good thing, right? You're learning something and, you're learning
1: and, what doesn't and, work. And Donald, the, the big thing I think about that is because see, you can't let failure or the 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 thought of failing prevent you from doing things because there would be so many great things that happen in the world that never happened because they were too afraid they were gonna fail. So Absolutely. like I said, and and that's why I've come uh in this community in Tokyo with, with guys like you and you know, friends of mine like Lance Lee, or Cullen dory you, know, uh, you know, Kingsley, and people like that. You know, it's great to see that synergy of so many people that are so positive about, you know, making something, you know, making it work. You know, that I think I think we're, we're at a little bit of an advantage over here because we have that community that's pretty tight-knit.
0: Definitely, definitely. All right, so here's one of my favorite ones. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions or billions of people, what would it say? It could be a few words or a paragraph.
1: Um, I it it would probably say, don't stop.
0: Ah, That's a good one. Yeah, don't stop. Yeah, I love that one, no matter what, right? If you get knocked down, get back up, but keep going, don't stop. All right, excellent. All right, and what is one of the best, best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And that could be money, time, energy, et cetera. A bicycle. Bicycle?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, I was just talking about that today, man. I got one of those little motorized bicycles you know, it's kind of a joke, but no. But in terms of business, I I, I think my, my best investment was uh, uh, when I bought my first camera. Um, I, you know, it was a big expense on my part. I remember I, I looked at my savings and I had just enough to get it as a Canon camera, but it allowed me to go out and film. And that's why I did so much of the Black Life in Japan, so much of the Fox stuff, because I was me. It was me by myself doing all of this. It was me filming, editing, conducting interviews, making pitches to networks and stuff like that. So that's the best, I think it was 3,500 bucks. That's the best investment I made because it laid the groundwork for all that is now. And then the bicycle was
0: the second best. Yeah, I mean, I think a bicycle in Japan is definitely a good investment. I I don't have one. I probably should have
1: one. And especially when those motorized, because I made the mistake. I had a nice little racer, and I'd be going up hills, and I would see these (laughs) women with two chairs passing me, going up the hill. And it took me a while before somebody told me that, you know, that's a motorized bike. So now I have one of those motorized bikes. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, the same with me. I mean, I never knew bicycles were motorized here. And I used to see the yeah. same thing the women going up hills with one, one kid in the back and one in front of them. I'm like, how
1: is she pulling that heel? But well, yeah, see, you're you you're you're, you're, you're proud parent. I'm telling you, one of you guys were were taking that kid on a bicycle somewhere,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. My wife has yeah. one. She takes she takes yeah. it everywhere. So yeah. Yeah, I should see, be investing in see, one as well.
1: That's right. That's right. It's a very, you know, neutral thing. No gender, it's not gender centric,
0: you know? Yeah, definitely. All right, and last one. So um, what are the bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise on a regular basis?
1: Well, I, I think a lot of it now is you hear so much talk of fake media, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 things like that. I, I think media has been maligned and I think it's dangerous. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, when I worked on newspapers, even a small community newspaper, there was so much I had to do to make sure everything I wrote was correct and true, and I mean I, I remember this old guy. He's one of my editors, he got must have been like eighty years old. And one time I got lazy and I kind of just fudged a little bit on the stuff. And the guy took me to the test. Almost fired me, you know, because he said, "Hey, he said, how much more uh, effort would it take you to get, you know, verify this and do this?" And and I never did it again. I mean, and I don't do it in TV stuff, and I think. There's so many journalists around the world, so many professional TV producers, directors and stuff on, on the news side that, that, you know, they risk their lives. They they, they put a lot into this. And just the arbitrary, have people come out and say it's fake and stuff like that, I think it's it. So I one of the great things I like now by podcasts and stuff like that is that it's unfiltered, you know? Mm. Yeah. And, and you, you can tell the good guys. You can tell the good guys and the bad guys. The bad guys come at you. They, they come with a bunch of allegations to try to blah blah blah. But you can say, hey, tell me what you think. You know. So, thank you for giving me this opportunity because I, I enjoy your podcast. And uh, and yeah, yeah. I, I, I I'm going to have to copy you one day. I'm going to have to do one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I know Lance is doing one too. I'm trying to get him on mine. So yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for um, coming on and giving us your time and wisdom. No, well. thank, really no
1: thank you. Thank it. you. Thank you, man. It's an honor. It's an honor to be on with you.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Let's get together and do lunch soon. All right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sounds good to me. All
0: right, Dan. So again, thanks for um, coming on. You have a good weekend. I'll see you soon. OK. All right. Take care, buddy. Yes. Yeah, stay safe. All right. Bye. There you have it, guys another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the Books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.